0: Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's Golden Globe time! Yes,
1: it is, Hollister. I'm sure you saw the tweet from Kathleen in Ohio, and she was curious as to our thoughts on the Golden Globe nomination. I wish
0: I had better thoughts. But what's funny about the Golden Globes this year is I'm pretty up to date on on the television shows but not so much on
1: the movies. Well, in your defense, a lot of them have just been released. Exactly,
0: exactly, exactly. So we thought we would do a list of six and started off with what was, what did the Golden Globe miss, if possible? What are the nominations missing? Yes. And so, um, so you're going to find on my score that while there might be movie things that are missing, since I haven't seen enough of them, I didn't really feel qualified to be judging openly in the in the public on that. So I'm going to focus more. Um, I'm going to focus more. So I just want to give that
1: caveat starting out. Okay. 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 So do you want to lead us off? What do you have? Okay. Well, I'm going to start off with a movie actually. And ironically, you know how Don Cheadle, Laura Dern, and Anna Kendrick were the ones who got to um, announce the nominations this year. And so I was thinking Anna Kendrick must have been disappointed not to see the name of her mentor on the list of nominees, Margot Martindale. For all the hollers, right. Okay, huh. She's won three Emmys, but she's never been nominated for a Golden Globe. So I was hoping this was going to be Margot's year, but alas, it was not. Huh,
0: okay. Um, that's a good one, actually. I like that one. And it's so funny with all my caveats to start with. I'm going to start with a movie also. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Julianne
1: Moore. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad she's on your list. Okay.
0: her performance in Maggie's Plan I thought was really comedic. I thought the, the movie was comedic, and I, you know, I just don't understand why you can't be smart comedic. You know, you don't see, it's sort of like it has to be funny ha rather than funny nuanced, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Her performance, yeah. it's not her natural habitat, and I i think she should have been listed there.
2: You want to make sure you don't feel guilty, so you're going to manipulate us all, if-
1: Leave, leave. Leave. Please, well, leave. Oh, you want me to leave? My my leave. Okay, leave. I'm leaving. Oh, oh that's a great one. Thank you. Yes, that was we're a very brave with. interpretation of that role. I love that she made your list. Yes, she did. Okay, what else do you have? Well, my next one—it was a toss-up between three young actors, and I think young actors are often overlooked in this whole nomination process. So, the three I was trying to narrow it down between were Medina Nalwanga, who played the 15 year old Ugandan chess prodigy right, right, in Queen of Katwe, yeah. Michael Barbieri mm-hmm. in Little Men, which I saw with you at the P Town Film right. Festival. And it's funny, I
0: think he didn't get it because the movie wasn't touted, and I don't think enough people saw it, but his performance was definitely worthy he of was being listed. Great. Yep, I agree.
1: And then the third, and the one that I ended up putting on my my three for the list of six, was Jodie Comer, Hmm. who was in the BBC America show 13. Hi, my name's Jodie Comer, and this is my BAFTA 60-second challenge. Which was the most challenging character you've played? Um, Ivy in 13
0: was definitely a challenge, emotionally and physically and every other aspect what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given what is meant for you will not pass you by my mom says that to me every time Um, i'm sulking about a part that i didn't get and it's so true Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I I just want to say, according to the rules that I make up as I go along, Mm -hmm. I think that almost counts for three. I'm not sure you. (laughs) I'm not sure how you slipped that in under my nose, pretending it's only one, when really that's your entire. You just blew your wad, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, my next one. um, Okay, is also a film. Okay, I totally lied at the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, but it's um it's a film, and it's um Alicia Vikander. Oh.
1: Yeah. For the light between the oceans?
0: Yeah. You know, I I thought about drama performances by actresses. I thought it was a really difficult performance. I thought every nuance of her performance needed to be touted, including the way she walked down the street, which I am still mesmerized by. And I thought she should have been considered, even though the film was nowhere near being considered, it doesn't mean you can't pull a performance out of the film,
1: you know? Okay. Well, at least she can still polish her Oscar, you know? (laughs) Yes. Okay, my last one, and this is truly just one person. I put down Kelly Bishop for the Gilmore Girls revival. Oh. She's never won anything for playing Lorelai's mother on the Gilmore Girls. You don't get on the anything, Girls. By the way. No, I'm just saying, I think she should have been nominated huh. at some point along the way. She's never been nominated. None of
0: them ever were. The only thing that was nominated was the one costume
1: thing. Lauren Graham was nominated once. Oh. And that was oh, it. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Um... I'm not. I think that's like that American thing of everybody who shows up gets a ribbon. <laughs> I mean, do you think that? Do you think her performance had a rate of difficulty that warranted being considered?
1: Yes, absolutely. Really? Because uh, I think that character yeah. could come across as too harsh, but I think she infused it with humanity Ugh. and a point of view that made it really interesting to watch. Well
0: no, you know, it's interesting. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I'd give it that degree of difficulty. But you go, girl. I think it's because she makes it look easy. Okay. And then my last one is also a movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. You're a 100% I know. I, a unreliable I don't know narrator. To tell you. I
0: started this whole thing off totally in the wrong vein. Okay. It's The Dressmaker. Then, I'm so glad. Yeah, I think it should. I, I, I'm, I'm sort of shocked that I'm putting... A best movie is missing because it's one thing for, you know, a, an element of a movie to be missing from the Golden Globes. But I think The Dressmaker, when I look at what else is up there for drama,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: I think The Dressmaker deserved to, to be considered. I do. It had great writing. It had amazing cinematography. It had strong, strong acting skills from diverse actors with a strong degree of difficulty in the acting some of it was almost absurd which i think is one of the most difficult things you you can be challenged with as an actor so i think it's i think it deserved to be there i do
1: now this is interesting you said drama so you would have put it in under the dramas not the comedies yes i would have oh interesting that definitely made my short list but i didn't mention it because you know I was trying to just stick to just stick to one per my. Oh, you did. You, know, you snuck three, in three. Don't line.
0: pretend now. You. I reading. know,
1: but I, I could have snuck in a bunch more. Okay. I really could have. But you know, there were two things on the list that when I saw them, I thought these will make Hollister happy.
0: <laughs> Which I'm sure is the goal of every
1: filmmaker, right? To make me happy. <laughs> Go ahead. What is it? Okay, Hugh Grant's nomination oh, for Florence I Foster did not. Jenkins. The
0: degree of difficulty didn't warrant it. I don't think. But you loved his performance. I did in that. because I'm not used to him performing in that. Type and Ellen. You know, I think he's always got an amazing ability to sort of come out um, with a comedic timing. I do think that. And I thought he was excellent in this performance, but not at the award level. I just didn't think that the degree of difficulty, again, you know, sat at that well, level. See, this
1: is why I like the Golden Globes, because they have that category for comedy. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that comedies and dramas Wait, is that are, are your way separately. of sticking
0: in yet another one when you were only allowed three? No,
1: this was me saying what I thought was going to make you happy, uh-huh. but apparently it didn't. Uh-huh. It made me happier than you. There you go. Okay, and the other one was for The Crown. It did make me happy, but also it wasn't surprising in any way, you know? Well, I just wanted to share this with you. I just read a book called The Game of Crowns, which is all about Britain's royal family. Mm-hmm. And this was a little fact in the very beginning of the book. Apparently, one third of Brits regularly dream about Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> oh my God. A recurring dream. Are, are they men or women? Which do you know? Which men and okay. women? And it's that the Queen drops by unannounced for a cup of tea yeah. because she just wants to chat with a normal right, person. Right, because
0: that's going to happen. Because she cares so <laughs> much about communing with the normal person. Ah, uh-huh, it's a really good play. Okay,
1: well, we want your doorbell rings in the middle of this podcast, it's probably going to be QE, yeah, too, and you're probably not yeah, going to be so happy about exactly. that either. Uh,
0: uh, you know, I think okay. the ship would show up at my doorstep before she did, but... Okay, so thanks again to Melissa Cohn. every week. We're so grateful for you supporting us
1: in the list of six, hashtag list of six. And a thanks to Kathleen from Ohio yeah, who, you know, it. suggested the category. And I have the feeling that Kathleen might think one of the bigger snubs was Rebecca Hall. For Christine.
0: Well, I can see why you would think that.
1: Yeah. So Kathleen, let us know if I was right. Okay, but you're I also have sneaking
0: feeling. yet another. <laughs> now we're no, up
1: to seven for you. No, that was just for, for Kathleen. Okay, okay, that okay. was just
0: for Kathleen. And then I, I have to make a confession. I feel like if I don't, I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> okay,
1: so <laughs> we've got untruthfulness already, okay. a little bit of ingratitude. Okay, and I, I watch confession. Survivor. I'm on the edge oh, wait, of my wait, wait. seat. I
0: watch Survivor. I'm going to say it out loud. I watch Survivor every season, every episode.
1: Okay, and it probably appeals to your inner Lord of the Flies. Um,
0: no, I don't know why. I actually will also say that I applied to
1: Survivor one year. Really? And what is on the application? What kind of questions did you have? Well, you
0: have, you have, to, have to send a video. Oh. <laughs> and
1: my video. Well, do tell, Hollister. Okay, my
0: video was um, you know, I'm, I'm always watching Wade, as is most of America. <laughs> Um, and my video was, I don't care about the million dollars. I don't need the money. That's not my issue. I want to go to lose the weight. <laughs> and so, and so my goal in staying on longer and longer and being somebody in marketing and strategy, my goal would be, you don't have to worry about the money. I'll give it to anybody you want. I don't care. I just want to keep me on the island so I don't eat chocolate. <laughs> so, and I thought it was very clever and everything else, but my daughter about whom I'm not allowed to speak as we all know, Right. I'm not allowed to mention her. She said
1: that if I ever went on, I think you're about as good at sticking to the rules I as well, I am. You well, know, I'm not. Okay.
0: Okay. She <laughs> said that if I went on Survivor, that I was no longer her mother. That she was like maybe I don't know. She was 12 maybe. So you would just be decommissioned. Well, I, I can understand why that would be humiliating for a daughter for sure. So, but I do watch it every season, and the reason I'm going to out myself now is this season. It just ended last week. Um, for those of you who also watch it and pretend you don't, like those of you who pretend you didn't read all three versions of six, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, Okay, <laughs> so there was um, a young, very um, flamboyant gay man who was on it who talked about being gay, and he was so cute. He was so afraid of everything. Oh my God! There's a bug. Now keep in mind, there's not a bug on Survivor. It's a question of <laughs> there are more bugs than anybody. It, yeah, you know, it's just amazing. So he was terrified. And where
1: were they for this? episode? Oh, I don't remember.
0: I, I don't never. Okay. I never know where they are because all we know is there's always a beach, and there's always bad animals there to hurt them, you know? So, <laughs> okay. Okay. doesn't matter where they are really. Okay. So he was talking to this, um, this guy from Boston who I think he was a firefighter or a police officer. I can't remember which, but very Bostonian, big, you know, big voice, you know, big tough Bostonian kind of guy. And halfway through the season, the Bostonian guy says, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I'm gay too. Now he's two generations ahead of this young guy. And he said, and until I met you, I didn't know how you could be out, how you could be so out and so comfortable. And in other words, he made this amazing, there was this amazing moment on camera where this older man outs himself in front of, you know, 20 million Americans or however many watch it. And it was a great, great moment in time. I've never seen such personal growth, you know, taking place throughout it. It was, it was wrenching and it was I mean, I don't cry watching Survivor. I cried the last episode of Survivor. Oh, did your daughter watch? Well, she watches, yes. She watches, and I did speak to her this week, and she hasn't seen the last one because she had a big party, so she didn't... That night. I mean, it's, you know, it's the holiday se- season.
1: and Has she changed her mind? Would she let you on the show now?
0: Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask her, though, and get back to you on that. And then this week, we couldn't... I'm traveling, and so um, we weren't able... I wasn't able to see the movie we'd agreed to see, because where I'm traveling to, they... Uh, two movies. <laughs> okay, two movies. <laughs> I wasn't able to see either of the movies, so poor... Poor, poor O'Toole, had to see them herself, and then I went to a different movie.
1: So why don't we start These were my prophetic last words is when I saw the first of the two, I said, Hollister, I can't wait for you to see this because I really need to discuss it with you. And now you're right. Is that L or Talking which to one myself, was that? yes. L. It's L. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I've read a lot about it, so I can ask you a lot of questions. So she saw L, which by the way, has been nominated for a number of a number of Golden Globe arenas. And so tell you know, you know, why did you what what was the first topic of discussion you wanted to have with me on it?
1: Okay, well, this was going to be, for me, definitely an Isabelle Huppert week. And she is magnificent. So no matter what I'm about to say, just know that she truly is one of the greatest actors on the planet. But this, of course, was France's controversial entry for the foreign language um, consideration for the Academy Awards. It's based on the book O. O H, as in O, by Philippe Gian. And Isabel Lupia did get nominated for a Golden Globe. It was very successful at the Cannes Film Festival, where it was referred to as a rape comedy. Now, I went to see it <laughs> right after I read your posting about Last Tango in Paris yeah. on our Facebook yeah. page. So I can't say I was in the mood or that I will ever be in a mood for a rape comedy. It's very twisted, this movie. So it, it opens with a rape scene. <laughs> ah! Ah! was a small part of my brain that thought oh good maybe we have that behind us <laughs> there's another part of my brain that Not said so maybe yeah. that's just one perspective and we're going to revisit this scene a couple times after it occurs Isabelle Lupea, she's preternaturally calm everything just bounces right off her in this film so she sweeps up the broken glass that he crashed through to get inside her house she takes a shower and she orders sushi I think she takes a bath, not a shower. I didn't see this, but didn't she take a bath, not a shower? You know, that does sound more French. Okay, she takes a bath, (laughs) and then she Okay, I didn't see the
0: movie, but let me correct you on a number of things throughout. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so then we find out that her character runs a company with her best friend that designs really disturbing video games that appear to be completely violent and very misogynistic. Okay, now, throughout the movie... She doles out sexual favors like this incredibly detached charitable gift giving. She sleeps with everyone, even though she's just been raped. So she sleeps with her friend, her friend's husband, her neighbor, herself, the cat. It's you know. Well, you know, promiscuity promiscuity after rape is not unheard of. It's not. But we realize it was going on before yeah, the rape. Exactly. So I'm not sure that you No, know, but even so, you know,
0: the way people react to rape is very, very different. Was she unsympathetic as a character because of her behavior? Well,
1: her character is infused with the sense of cool irony. Mm-hmm. It's a very delicate balance. But um, everyone, almost everyone in the film, is pretty disturbed. So, for example, there's a guy who works for her. And you realize that one thing he's into is something called crunching. <laughs> where apparently if you step on the shells of bugs it turns him on you know i should say right here i mean it's not surprising that this movie was directed by paul verhoeven the dutch director right, of basic right. instinct and showgirls and total recall robocop so he actually went on record as saying quote the movie is crazy the director is crazy. Mm -hmm. And the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable that, again, you posted um, in connection with Natalie Portman's portrayal of Jackie Onassis. At that roundtable were just a bunch of great actresses. So Annette Bening, Isabelle Huppert was a monster. Yeah, it's a great roundtable, actually. And I want to play a clip here, because she says that her character's not a victim. It's not an avenger. She's completely amoral.
2: I thought she was a kind of post-feminist kind of character. You know, she's neither a victim no, she's the classical Avenger, a James Bond girl taking the, sh- the gun and shooting the guy. She doesn't have to prove that she's a, a certain type of a woman, and-, and therefore, very quietly, very sure of herself, she-, she does what she does. It's not really important for me whether a character is doing the right thing or is, mm. doing s- or is sympathetic. She's a really amoral uh, character. You were talking about the rape scenes in L were they difficult for you to play? No, no, it was very technical, you know, we rehearsed a lot to, to fall down and to, to get hit and things like this. So no, those scenes are, might be more difficult to watch for the spectator than to, to do for the actor. Mm. It was very much prepared and very much, a lot of, uh, a lot of shots and very, a lot of cuts and it was completely storyboarded by mm. Veroven and you know, it wasn't difficult. It, you didn't have, talk to him about the character. And he didn't talk to me either, you know. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, so what did we say? Just hello and goodbye. Hello in the morning. And uh...
1: of all the behavior in this movie, there's only one apology, and that is one of the characters apologizes for being a banker. <laughs> Well, should. No I'm so sick of bankers, but right? As, you know, but as for all the other felonies and wrongdoings, you know, don't don't wait for an apology. While I was watching this, I was thinking, okay, this this movie kind of melted my mind, but I was very glad it was in French because <laughs> if it's going to be in a language, let it be in French. I think there's a reason why French women live longer than mm-hmm. women anywhere else in the world, except maybe Japan, and maybe there's also a reason why they consume more Prozac than you know many other people around the world. But um, it reminded me, and I know that you probably have stopped watching The Affair. I have stopped watching it, yeah. In season three, they introduce a new character who's a visiting professor from France. And they're talking about Noah's novel. And his young students, one of the female students, takes umbrage with the novel. And she says, you know, how dare you write about women this way? In our society, women are victims. And this is just another example of how we're victims. And the French professor looks at this American girl, and she just says, you know, I thought it was erotic. And she actually can say things like, the articulate is the enemy of the erotic. Hmm. And I thought, okay, you know, God love the French. I actually went to both of these movies with a fabulous Frenchman friend of mine, because I thought it's like bringing my cultural decoder ring. He loved Elle. He said it was extremely twisted, but his adjective for Isabel Huppert's character in this was unflappable. And I thought that was just a great way to describe her character. I think, I think that's really, really interesting. But, you know, a lot of our listeners, including Elaine from China, asked if we would talk about both movies released starring Isabel Huppert recently, the other one being Things to Come. So I thought, you know what, after seeing L, which I'm glad I saw first, I was ready to be rehabilitated. And Hollister, I'm wondering if you saw the trailer for Things to Come. I did, yes. Okay, so the movie starts and her husband leaves her for another woman. And it's this brilliant scene that's so French, where Isabelle Huppert just calmly asks him, Uh is that necessary? (laughs) You know, like, can't you just have your affair? Like, why are you leaving me? Oh, right, 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 right. In the trailer, they give a lot of play to this young male former student of hers who apparently adores her. So knowing that the husband leaves her... I was hoping that she was going to get together with the younger guy. It's not that I think everyone needs to partner up. That's not it. It's just that my sense of justice was offended. You know, I just thought fair's fair. I kind of thought Isabella Uper would be with the young guy. Oh, c'est bien. la
2: classe prépa, normal, c'est tout ça c'est grâce à toi. Je voulais te le dire. Mais tu m'explaines. So c'est son
0: chouchou papa, tu sais.
2: Ah le fils qu'elle aurait aimé avoir, celui, celui qui est tout le contraire de moi tant sur
1: le plan physique que sur le plan intellectuel.
0: Excusez-moi, je dois partir. And so you were
1: disappointed when that was not what it turned out to be? It is so not what it turned out to be. I would say this movie was kind of like a French version of Up in the Air. Mm. And by that, I mean that at the beginning of the movie, she has everything. She lives in Paris. She teaches philosophy, which is so revered in France. She looks great and suede. Her students adore her. And then by the end of the movie, I felt torpedoed. And desolate. I mean she loses her husband, her publishing contract, her mother. She just ends up with a cat she's allergic to. And I found it bleak instead of liberating. You know, it's been a it's been a month of bleak things that we've been watching, I'm afraid. And the thing is, you know, I, I definitely tried to deconstruct it after I saw it because I thought, you know, deconstructing sounds a little like a French thing to do. There were a few lines That turned me towards bleak, where if they hadn't been in the movie, I might have felt like she was still driving the bus. Like, can you give, yeah, give me one of them. Yep, she's talking to her, her young protege, and she says, well, you know, women over 40 belong in the trash bin. He's like, surely you don't really think that, and she's like, no, I do. Her
0: answer should have been... I don't think that, but I'm sure you do. You just
1: don't know you do. I don't think it should have been that either. I think it it should have been, what did Nora Ephron say? Be the heroine of your own story. You know, so there's an unsettling moment where this protege seems to turn. And he says to his girlfriend, I wasn't very nice to her, but I think she took it okay. So he turns out to be pretty smug. And, you know, another portrayal of an anarchist where he's in this beautiful stone French farmhouse in Brittany drinking wine and enjoying cheese and smoking cigarettes. And I thought, well, if that's what it takes, I mean, I suppose I could be an anarchist too. Well,
0: we've just gone, we've just gone through the whole plot of the movie. What, do you think the acting was great? Do you think? I don't
1: feel like there was a lot of uh-huh. plot. I, I felt like the title in English things to come La or the future in French. I'm not sure those things huh. ever arrived. I kept waiting for something to happen. So it was an unfulfilled expectation when you saw it. Plus it was more depressing than the trailer would lead you to believe, where she says she's too old for, quote, radicality. But it's very interesting when you see the films back-to-back because in both... There's a lot of similarity. She's got a problematic relationship with her mother, who's not long for the film. She has a black cat. She ultimately lives alone. She's got great clothes. She's got a love interest of some sort. And I use that term loosely with a younger man. She's got an adult child who reproduces in the course of the film. But in both, I found them a little antiseptic, where I wasn't really sure what she was feeling or who she was really close now, to.
0: Now, Elle is up for a number of awards, and in fact, Best Actress with her in it. Is the other one up for any of them? Did, no. did the other one meet the same standards? So so the, the the idea out in the field is that Elle far surpasses the
1: second but movie. But I think it might just be because of its provocative nature. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, because as a character, it's almost as though she's a film negative of the character from one film to the other. Right. So in one, she sleeps with Everyone. Everything that moves. In the other, she's a philosophy professor who's just happy inhabiting the cerebral realm alone. Mm. And so, ironically, it's the one where she plays the rape victim. And again, you can dispute the terms. Where I had the feeling she had more agency. In things to come Character. from the trailer, I thought she'd be filled with agency, and yet I, I wasn't left with the feeling that she had any. Yeah. Okay, and now here's another clip I want to play from Isabelle upper She's asked if she's ever, in her long and storied career, played a role that changed her thinking about life. And here's her answer. I found it so interesting. No.
2: No?
0: <laughs> no?
2: no? <laughs> Are you serious? You've done, like, 60 films or more? Never changed anything. Mm. No. Mm. Why didn't it change anything? Life is here and doing roles is here. It's it's completely separate. I mean for me acting is never about learning or it's just about doing it the present time. It's something between consciousness and not consciousness. It's a very, very special state of mind which is close to a state when you're a little drunk, you know? You have an incredible awareness of what you have to do, and yet you lose consciousness of something else, you know, I think, when you act. And this is what I find, actually, many, several times a day, every time I act. But then when it's over, it's over, you know? It doesn't doesn't pursue me, it doesn't follow me, and, you know, I have nothing
1: to do with these people, you know? I still
0: feel, from what you're saying, that I want to see Elle, though. She is a
1: magnificent, Actress, she really yeah, is, but she's... I would love to hear from our listeners. So Elaine and China and all of you out there, let us know how you how you felt about the movies. Screenthoughts at gmail.com. O'Toole did send me I'm in New York City. While she was
0: seeing all these, you know, very heavy, serious films. I went to fences. <laughs>
1: Which seems okay, now, even heavier. Well,
0: I will say that, you know, since you, it makes Manchester by the Sea seem like a comedy. So wow. So Fences is the screen adaption of the Pulitzer Prize winning play by August Wilson. Uh, he wrote it, I think, in 1985. And at that time when it came out and James Earl Jones played the protagonist that uh, Denzel Washington plays... Roy in the film now, it was touted as sort of the, um, Willie Loman. It's, you know, racist version of R- Willie Loman's, uh, Death of a Salesman. And it was very, very big on Broadway. And then it came out again in 2010 on Broadway and Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, who plays his wife in this, uh, they both won the Tony that year when they played those roles. And then they come to this film adaption of it, which Denzel Washington also directed. So here they are playing the roles they played on stage for many months in the film, and Originally, uh, Paramount, which put the film out, said that Tony um, Kushner was going to do the screenplay for the film, but instead they used Wilson's script for it. So they used a playwright's script for the film. And that was his film. first screenplay, right? Well, he died in 2006, so he never saw it come to fruition, so I think it was what we could say his first and last screenplay. I mean, I want to start with that background, because I think the two weaknesses in it is that I think that Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, who, by the way, are both putting in, you know, Academy Award winning performances in this film, I think that they played it on the stage too many times and they couldn't leave the stage behind and show up At a cinema. Interesting. With their performances. Yeah. That's what I think. Couple that with the fact that the the script was written by a playwright. I don't think the script gave them enough action around it. And you could say that Denzel made the decision to stay on a small stage arena for all of the it's very long for all of the scenes of it I mean you you don't much leave the house let's put it that way you're they're all confined in the house which if you look at the title which is fences would make sense that he made that decision but I think it was the wrong decision because when you couple all those things together it's the only weakness in what I think would probably be the film of the year you know with, with if 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 there could have been a few times we left the stage of the home in which they're living, which is where, where everything takes place. So, you know, that's the the first point that I want to make about it. And also it's coming out on Christmas day. It's got a, it's got a small group of places. You can see it now, but on Christmas day, it's coming out. I think it's going to get a huge, a huge uh, group of people to go and watch it. But, Okay, Viola Davis, in one scene, gives an ugly cry. You know uh, what an ugly cry is, right, Mm O'Toole? I think it is one of the most vulnerable, daring, ugly cries you're ever going to see on the screen by a woman, and I think she deserves the award just for the ugly cry that she did.
2: It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place
0: for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you! I gave 18
1: years of my life to stand in the same spot as you! She first came on my radar with that scene-stealing turn in Doubt. I know. She's so talented. She is so willing to jump off a cliff.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Denzel's performance, you know, his the tone of his voice, the timbre of his voice takes these amazing words that belong on a stage not on screen and he can just bring them alive so the words become alive when he speaks and so he almost overshadows her because she has much less dialogue in the film but her acting strength is it surpasses him whenever she does speak so and they're both brilliant don't get me wrong but I think she is uh, you know, again, I always think degree of difficulty should matter in these awards, and both those roles are extremely difficult. There's one point in time when she has to make a decision as to whether to make some small person pay for the sins of of someone else. I don't want to give anything away because it's very important to not have it if you haven't seen the play already, and you just think she's not going to make the decision she makes. And then when she makes it, you just know that she's, you know, she did something that you probably wouldn't have done, but that is absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, it's, there are twists and turns in this that are so well done. I was
1: curious. What about the actor who plays their son?
2: Hey, Pop, can I ask you a question? How come you ain't never liked
0: me? he's very good but they're so big and his role is so small in comparison Mm -hmm. that it's very hard to even talk about him in the same breath but everybody in the film is very good believe me everyone but they're but they're such minor roles you know how you know it's so funny because viola davis when i was going through the golden globes and i saw best actress and i was like oh my god how could she not be in this best Actress in a drama, and then she is up for best supporting actress in a drama, which is a joke because she's not a supporting actress. You did say he has a lot more dialogue. Well, he does, but she's in the scene, and she's performing in the scene just without the words. Mm-hmm. But it's not a supporting role. It is an equal role.
1: It to It does seem you know, pretty arbitrary a, how they slot some of these Well, people. I think
0: they slot them to make sure that they're going to have the best shot at actually winning. A supporting role should really be a role that if that person was missing, it wouldn't be the end of the world in the film. You know, she's
1: paramount to the you film. Know, she really is. This is another but, example for what you just said. Have you seen the trailer or the film for Lion? Starring Dev Patel. No. Dev Patel seems to be in almost every scene of the trailer. By
0: the way, he, you know, lucky him. That guy has had amazing he's opportunities. He's had amazing,
1: but he was not made yeah. for Best Supporting. And know, in the trailer, exactly. it seems Another like he's examples. in every single scene. I know. You know.
0: Well, also, what's interesting about Lion is, once again, the Weinstein brothers, who always seem to do very well at, at awards time. And often people will say it's because they know how to get their... Face in front of you to be nominated, you know, which is that a uh, whole? What's happening in the politics behind all of this? And one of the things that I read, I haven't seen Lion yet, but I will see it before the Academy Awards early. But one of the things they're saying is that it was the Weinstein brothers that got Lion on the roster for this that doesn't necessarily deserve to be there. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't speak to that. But here's the here's the thing. I thought about Roy as a character, and Roy is this. Man who's gone through great hardship, and again, I don't like to walk through, you know, here's what happens in the film, but he's a very complex man, and here's the thing, he's the juxtaposition of opposites, so he's illiterate, but the most verbally articulate person. Okay, can't write, but when he speaks, it's as if he were a writer, you know, in other words, so he has this 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 series of attributes around him that are so filled with opposites that make him you have to have that in a character. And I remember, you know, that fabulous O'Toole who does screen thoughts. <sighs> <laughs> One of the things she, you said a couple of uh, maybe a month or so ago, and we were I think we were talking about great court scenes in film. And you said for a film to be really, really good in, a, in, in court, you have to have equal adversaries
1: in the courtroom. It's like a a mental boxing match.
0: Exactly. And I thought that was really, really interesting and it sort of stuck with me. And then I thought that, you know, we all have different selves inside of us. And here's Denzel Washington playing this man, Roy, who it's almost like he has all these opposites inside him and they're of equal value and equal power within him. So when they come out, it's like he can be extremely kind and gentle and vicious and and, and authoritative and, and violent, you know, in a very ugly, you know, way. And I think it's one of the best things about the film and what makes it one of the great films of this, this season, for sure.
1: I'm thinking it doesn't have a happy ending.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I keep telling you over, you know, you won't listen to me. I, I try. I don't know how to get you to the end. But you know, there's no such thing as the happy, you know, you've got mail ending where the balloon goes up in the sky and you roll your eyes and go, seriously? You <laughs> know, it's just not like that. But it's not a, no, but here's the thing. It's not an unhappy ending, you know, the thing you didn't like about, about Manchester is that you said it was without hope and it's not without hope at all and many many things in it are have happy endings and the pain that's been caused by by the family throughout it also you know does keep its scarring value on the individuals as they go through it so i think for sure this is going to do really well during during season and hats off to Denzel Washington who the other thing he he's very physical in this role where he he plays a garbage collector who's clearly a great athlete but has had years standing on the back of a garbage truck you know lifting up heavy garbage cans and putting the garbage into the truck etc he picks them up and, and he puts walk- them down <laughs> yeah he does and he but he walks he walks and you know the toll You know that he's a great athlete because he still walks with that athleticism, but you also know the toll, the back-breaking labor he's done all these years has taken on his body and how he has to adjust his body to walk with it. Whereas most, you know, the scenes that we see her her in – she's stationary she doesn't move and so everything is done through her face there's we're not her physical being is not as active so it's not as paramount but the opening scene of the movie and i want to talk about this because i think it also gives you this sense of excitement so the opening scene is is roy and his friend are leaving their job and they're walking home and so it's a walk and talk right out of sorkin's west wing Oh, sorkin who you might ask? You know, <laughs> sorkin. It's bam, 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 bam conversation. Okay, and then no one ever moves again. Oh. <laughs> because once they get home, we never we never we never get to leave the home often after that. But that opening scene gives a sense of action around what's going to happen that leaves us. And I think, again, that's a little bit disappointing as the movie starts to unfold. And I went with somebody who works with us at Screen Thoughts, who does a lot of our fabulous work. We love Frances. Hi to Frances. Yeah, she went with me to the well, film. If
1: I'd known, and I would have gone millenn- to L with Francis. <laughs> well, exactly. She would have met yeah, me for the up, French right?
0: doubleheader. Exactly. So um, we went. She's a millennial. And she had wanted to go see La La Land. And I said, I can't see that with you. Because I, you know, that's that's a movie that for sure O'Toole and I are going to do. So you know, your choices are this or this.
1: <laughs> so Merry Christmas. So
0: we, <laughs> she said, "Well, it seemed I it's not a movie I would have picked to go, but she went. Good sport that she is." And at the end, she said she was really glad she saw it, but she said it was so slow. You know, the millennial world is used to living in a very fast pace, and. I think as a play, too, that's probably why in 1985 when it came out, it probably was so much uh, stronger in some ways with the James Earl Joan again with that great timber. And and for me, I needed that slowness to be able to appreciate the brilliance of the, the best ugly cry i've ever seen
1: i know that denzel washington said that he was always drawn to how poetic august wilson's writing is it is a great combo his voice and those words
2: you live in my house for your belly with my food put you behind on my bed because you're my son
0: well especially when he makes the guy unable to write he's illiterate he can't read or write wow and here he is speaking out as if it was out of a shakespearean novel it's just
1: unbelievably great that way. It's interesting what you said, too, about athleticism. Because yes. I remember reading somewhere once that Denzel Washington said one of his greatest role models when he was a kid was Jim Brown. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Denzel Washington, and by the way, I think he gained about 50 pounds maybe for this role, or 30 pounds, or, uh, but he gained it you know his, the way he sits in the chair and you know his heaviness is really really strong i i can't speak more more strongly in support of this man's work his body the body of denzel washington's work is really strong also mm-hmm. so i want to wrap up by saying this is a must see and in this society we're now living where racism is beginning to be discussed again in terms of is it there isn't there whatever um the racism around what was happening in the 50s and being a person of color and Jackie Robinson finally getting to play baseball and all of these lost opportunities because of the color of skin, it's its really interesting to see. And it's also a moment where you can say we have come quite far in our search for equality. So it's, it's, it's good that way as well.
1: Now, Hollister, guess what I just started reading today? I can't imagine what. Okay, this might be of interest to our lit lovers, listeners out there. Alice Munro's collection of short stories called Runaway, which I just heard was the basis for Pedro Almodovar's new movie, Julieta. But there was a line in it, and I thought this really reminded me of things to come. Okay, here's the line. She quotes, had made the mistake of thinking somehow that Carla's happiness and freedom were the same thing. Wow. Great way to sum up how I felt about things to come. Two uh, French movies, and yeah. it made me—it brought out my inner philosopher. Okay, but I before we
0: end, because I'd love to have the last word if I can, <laughs> and that is that I begged people for Manchester to the Sea to come stand by my side so I didn't feel like this terrible person who was unfeeling and wasn't terrorized and tra- traumatized by uh, Manchester by the Sea. And thank you, Di Barrett, who wrote to us on Instagram? I agree with Hollister. It's a great film. Was not at all traumatized as O'Toole was. Not that I'm judging you, O'Toole. Uh, <laughs> for your information, that. yeah. For your information, Lucas Hedges, Patrick, is a student here at WS at UNC, which I believe is University of North Carolina School of the Arts. No one could have played the lead better than Casey Affleck. First noticed him, the only thing I remember about the film, the assassination of Jesse James. Now, I never saw... We talked about some of the films he'd been in. I he was s- nominated for
1: an Oscar okay, for that one. Okay, I think I'm going to go see that film based on that. So thanks for your input. Well, I know you love to have the last word, but... A, any movie where if you're the brother with congenital heart failure, you're the lucky brother. Still traumatizes me. But the other thing is, um, I, I think I'm going to go call Francis and go watch La La Land. Oh,
0: okay, well well, uh, cool. I know I'm going too. Yeah, you can't leave me out. I, I waited for you. So enjoy this holiday season of super movies and fun things to watch on the screen. Happy holidays. I you know, oh <laughs>